Hey, good morning. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Luke, Christian, you guys are ready to go. You're free to go. Well, welcome to Cornerstone. If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. Uh, we are a new church, and um, it's a little different to be in a cafeteria. And uh, we know that. And so uh, what we want to do this morning is we want to take a little bit of time. We don't do enough of this. We want to take a little bit of time praying for uh, what God might have for the next step of Cornerstone as we continue to uh, gather our core group. Uh, We're praying that, really, uh, my prayer is, uh, by the end of this year, God will have moved us from this place and and, uh, we will be at our next place, whatever that is. All right, so let's let's take a little time and pray for that. Father, we, uh, as always, we lay this this ministry that is cornerstone. We lay it in your hands, and as we uh, as we dive into your word, we want to say that uh, Lord, we've gathered not only to um, to give you thanks and to give you praise, but Father, we've gathered at your feet to learn more about you, Lord, to learn more about. The you, not that we've created, but the you that is the true you. The you that you would have us know. Father, the you that, that we should worship. So, Father, would you um, this morning reveal to us more about yourself and more about us? Lord, might we see ourselves for who we truly are, not who we believe to be, but for who you say we are. And as we do that, Father, we, uh, we give you this yet another Sunday morning in this, this young church, and we say that it is yours. And Father, we ask that you would take this church and you would mold it, that it would become exactly what you would have it become. Father, as we pray that you would um, you would bring about the next step for Cornerstone, whatever that is, we ask that you would give us wisdom and discernment, and that we might um, always stay true to the values and priorities and purposes that you have planted in us. So, Lord, we give you this time, and we say that wherever our lives don't line up with what your Word says, would you give us the courage and the strength? to change, that we might walk away from this place different than when we came in. In Christ's beautiful name, who is our cornerstone, we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 7, we're in the middle of a, a little bit of a series here on the doctrine of sin. We said initially we're going to spend six weeks talking about the doctrine of sin, and uh, frankly, it's probably going to end up more like eight, because last week I didn't finish this message, so today... Uh, I'm just going to wrap up what we started last week. And if you missed last week, you can go online, you can podcast the messages, you can go to our website, and you can listen online to the messages to catch up. You can listen to all the messages on this series of sin. And um, But today, here's what I want to do. Um, uh, you know, we got through last week, we got through essentially one verse. We got through verse 14, and really we didn't even get all the way through verse 14 of Romans 7. And we planned on getting all the way down through verse 25. Let me tell you a couple reasons why. Number one, we didn't get through is because uh, as I went back last night and I listened to the sermon online myself, 
to remind myself what I had already told you, so I don't tell you again this morning, I realized I spent the majority of the time giving you the background information of what is Romans 7, 14 to 25. I mean, we talked about context of this passage for a good long time. Remember, I told you about the law, why Paul had written the book, where he had been, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, to get us to the place where he is in chapter 7, because in the place we are in his argument, it makes total sense if we understand where he's been and where he's going. So we spent a whole lot of time in context. Let me tell you, this is one of the reasons, and this is just a little aside here, and I'm going to waste a whole lot more time and then not have enough time to finish this, but this is one of those reasons, just to give you a little glimpse into why we do things the way we do things, why we teach the way we teach. This is one of the reasons why I don't teach topical messages. Now, we're teaching technically a topical series on the doctrine of sin, but it's based on passages in Scripture. Let me tell you, even when you do that, you have to spend so much time giving background information so that you understand what I want to tell you that I might as well have started Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and spent the next several weeks just teaching you Romans. Okay, that would be, my, that would be the best case scenario. Because if I went Romans chapter 1, started verse 1, and we taught you through Romans, you'd get the doctrine of sin in here. Amen? You'd get the doctrine of man, you'd get the doctrine of soteriology, you'd get all this stuff. Right? You know what we're doing right now? It's, uh, it's a little bit different. It's kind of a hybrid. It's, it's topical, but it's, it's biblical. I mean, I'm not giving you ten ways to be a better uh, parent topical. All right? And then finding a passage that hopefully uh, matches what I want to tell you about being a parent. I'm giving you a passage on the doctrine of sin, and here's what we're doing. Instead of giving you this long workout plan, which would be going through Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, 3, and going through that way, and us working spiritually, working out our spiritual muscles, what I'm doing is I'm giving you this injection, kind of a steroid shot, if you will, on the doctrine of sin to kind of catch you up. All right? Does that make sense? So I say that to say, hey, that's why we took so long and we got through one verse last week, because I had to unpack seven chapters of the book of Romans so that you could understand where Paul is when we go 14 through 25. All right? Now, let me say this as well. There are some times when you teach that you, uh, you pick at a text. And there are some times when you teach that you don't need to pick at a text and instead you need to strum the text. All right? I'm not a guitar player. Preston can explain this to you if, you don't, if you're not following me here. But there's sometimes when, when you really pick at a text and you're hitting every little note, you're hitting every little piece, you're picking it apart, if you will. But there are sometimes, and I have to realize this, that a text doesn't always need to be picked. Sometimes it just needs to be strummed. And sometimes we don't need to miss the melody or the tune for the sake of the individual notes. This morning, as last night, as I, I, I told you, I went back and I listened to last week, and I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I need to finish teaching you this text? It's a very famous text. You're, you're probably familiar with it already. I realized uh, in my heart that for our group, for this morning, uh, we need to just strum this text. And I didn't even get to read it to you last week. So I'm going to read it to you this morning, and I'm going to try my best not to pick it apart. Because literally, this text is so sweet that it teaches itself. And if you're a Christian, it's going to resound in your soul automatically. And you're going to know exactly what Paul's talking about. Now, if Preston, who is a uh, uh, 
well, English lit major. If Preston took his red pen to this text and he had to uh, grade this text for grammar and literary content, he might, he might put a whole lot of red on it just for the sake of redundancy itself. This is a passage that when you read it, you say, why are you saying the same thing over and over and over? What I came to realize is that the very literary form of this text makes the point that Paul is attempting to make. You see, we dealt with this last week, that there is this battle that still remains in the heart of the believer. This battle over what he called in verse 14, my flesh, which is still hanging around. It's still there, hanging on for dear life, and I have to fight against it. And through this passage, he's going to say, this part of me wants to do this, but then this part of me wants this. And then he bounces back, but this part wants this. No, this part of me wants this. God in me desires this. The flesh old part of me that is still hanging on wants this. You know what I realized? That this tug of war that goes on in our hearts, Paul puts it on paper. And so don't get lost in the redundancy here as we read, because I think it's intentional. I think it's intentional. Now see if you can see if you can catch on to it. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. And last week I spent a whole lot of time telling you that the theme of much of Paul's writings is the law of God. And specifically, what is the purpose of the law of God? Why did God say these are the do's and these are the don'ts? And we found out last week, I showed you a few passages, that the purpose of the law is to be a mirror in front of us, is to be this cosmic wet paint sign to show us that we can't keep the law. The intent of God's law has always been, has always been that we would fall short and that we would cry out for mercy. That he would say, here's my standard, and we would try, and when we failed, we would say, God, I can't. Is there any way you could be merciful? Is there any way you could be gracious? And then God's got us exactly where he wants us. That we could, by faith, trust in his mercy and his kindness. And we would come to the end of ourselves. That's the purpose of the law. And you remember I said that Paul had a problem with his fellow Jews because his fellow Jews esteemed the law. And they used the law like a moral ladder to climb up, to impress God. And so they held the, the law in high regard for their own personal desires and their own personal worth. And Paul says that's not the purpose of the law. We need to use the law correctly. And so what happened was, and Paul understood this as he wrote the book of Romans, what happened was is that they started to think that Paul was being hypo, not hypocritical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, heretical in his use of the law. It almost got to the point where they thought that Paul was saying that the law was a bad thing, that the law brought Paul to death, that the law showed Paul his sin. The Jews started to say, well, Paul, are you saying that the law of God is bad, that it is evil? And Paul says in Romans 7, you know, that's not the case. Here in 14, that's exactly why he says, for we know that the law is spiritual. It's good. It's of God. But I, and here's the tug of war that begins, but I am of flesh. This old tendencies, this old bent towards sin, it hangs on. And we spent time last week talking about how in the process of sanctification, we have to understand that it is a process. 
that although in God's eyes we are completely saved and completely secure, in this life and in this body we are going through a process. We are, if you will, under construction. We are not done yet. God still has work to do with us. He doesn't, like a robot, automatically download all the good and get rid of all the bad. It is a process where He works the bad out of us. And as we love Him, as we press into our relationship with Him, we get rid of the stuff that is not appropriate. And we become more like God has intended us to be. But Paul realizes something, and it's important for us to realize. He said, I'm still of this thing. This flesh part of me, this carnal part of me, sin still has a place in my life. Keep going here. He says, but I am of flesh and I am sold into the bondage of sin. Let me read to you what one commentator said on Paul's words here that he calls himself, even as a Christian, mind you. He says that there is part of me and there is time. There is a time when I am sold back under the old master of sin. Listen to what Charles Hodge said about this verse in relation to a slave. He said the acts of a slave are indeed his own acts. But not being performed with the full consent of the soul, they are not fair tests of the real state of his feelings. Let me read that again. The acts of the slave are indeed his own acts, but not being performed with the consent of the soul, they are not fair tests of the real state of his feelings. Paul says there are times, even now, after Christ has saved me, that I feel like I'm still a slave. And like a slave, I do things that I don't necessarily want to do. You understand the language there? That a slave does not what they want to do. They do what they're commanded to do. And so Paul, it's as if he says, there are times when I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm still under that old master. It's as if I'm, I'm sold into slavery once again. 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. He explains exactly what this slavery looks like in his own life. Remember last week that I told you he uses the word I 46 times. And he transitions from verse 13 to 14 and he uses the present tense. Now that's important because you need to know that this is the life of the Apostle Paul. The life of one of the most respected believers of all time, right? And he says this about himself. I'm a flesh. I'm, I'm, I'm still like a slave. There's this battle in me. That which I'm doing, it doesn't make any sense. If I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. You see the battle? Here's what I want. Here's what I hate. Here's what I love. But here's what I do. Here's what I want. But here's what I can't help but end up being. There's this great battle going on in Paul's heart. 16. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. 
Meaning that the law has done exactly what it was intended to do. Paul, are you against the law of God? Is the law of God bad now? Paul says the law of God has done exactly what it was intended to do. Verse 17, it also proves something else to me, he says. So now, no longer am I the one doing it. And this is a key verse. But sin, which dwells or literally lives, takes up residence, builds a house, abides where? In me. Now, this is a dangerous verse, and I've got to stop a little bit on this one. I know I told you I was just going to strum this, but I've got to stop here because this is a dangerous verse. Because if we're not careful, here's what can happen. We can use this verse, believers, as an excuse for continuing in sin. And what do we say? We say, well, it's not really me. I mean, it's, after all, like Paul said, it's just the sin that dwells in me. But don't miss the fact that he says, it is still there in him. He is still responsible. The point Paul makes in this passage as he begins to split some hairs here, is that it is not the true me. It is not the new me. It is the old me that still hangs on in my flesh. It is specifically sin itself. And I showed you in Romans 5 last week, in Romans 6, that we wish sin were dead after we come to Christ. But in fact, Scripture tells us in Romans 6 that we are to act as if we are dead to sin. Because sin itself does not go away, is the implication. But we are to not let sin reign any longer in our mortal bodies. We have to do that. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin, he says. So you see, sin doesn't go away. And that's exactly what Paul says here. Sin is still hanging around. And in this cosmic battle that's going on within me, I need to know that it's not the new me, but it is this sin that hangs on. Keep going here. 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now, if we stopped right there, this could be another dangerous verse. You say, Paul, you're... You're saying that in a Christian, nothing good dwells in you? I mean, I thought the Holy Spirit lived in you, right? And I thought that Christ has come to live in you. Are you saying that there is nothing good in the believer? Again, Paul gets very specific here and he qualifies his own statement. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. In my flesh. Now, be careful again. We're not saying that our humanity, our flesh, our physical body alone is sinful. And the spiritual part of me, my mind, he's going to say in a moment, is all good. But if I could just get rid of this physical body, the material me, I'd be set. The flesh here is more than just the physical It's not just a neutral term, talking about my eyes, my ears, what I see, what I listen to. It's this it's this indwelling nature of sin that still resides in Paul's body that is yet to be sanctified. 
that is still in process, that is still under construction. But he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Because certainly, in the new me, he would say, there is the Holy Spirit, there is Christ. For the will is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Essentially, he says, sin doesn't reign anymore in my life, but it it does survive. It does carry over into my new life. It's not in total control. It's not master of me anymore. Its power has been broken. But we need to know, believers, that it survives. Sin survives. And it carries over. And we have to fight against it. We have to war against it still. 19. For the good I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. But sin which dwells in me. You notice the phrase he repeats there? That sin still lives. It's still hanging around. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. Literally, he says, I find then the law. Remember the theme that Paul is keying on here? The context is he's talking about the purpose of the law, the use of the law in the life of the lost person and now in the life of the believer. He has a little play on words here and he says, I find then the law that evil is present in me. Because one might think when I get saved that it all just goes away. He says, no. He said, I've learned something. I've learned this law. I've learned this rule. I've learned this principle. This, this big truth that evil is still hanging out. The one who wants to do good. The one who wants to do good. You see the battle again? Who is Paul? He's this new creation. He is the one who wants to do good. What has he learned? That evil, that sin, still hanging out in his life. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body. And it wages war against the law of my mind and makes me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Now look how he ends this up. Verse 24, wretched man that I am. You see the disgust in the mind and in the heart of the Apostle Paul? Again, don't miss it. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of your New Testament. Do you see the disgust with his own self, with his own fleshly self that is still hanging on for dear life? Do you see the disgust? He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from what? From this body of this death. Cries out to his God and says, when, when do I get away from this, this old wretched man? When can, I, when can I drop this old dying carcass? This thing that continues to beckon me and call out to me and remind me of my old ways and my old tendencies. When can I get rid of it? Who can help me with that? Now look what he says here. He ends this section in worship. He ends it in humility and in worship. Verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind 
am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Who got Paul to the cross? Did the law bring Paul to the point of salvation? No, he says, the law brought me to the point where I found the end of myself. And I had to trust in Christ. Will the law now that Paul is a believer, will it raise him up now? He says, no. The only thing that the law does is it brings me again to the end of myself. So that before Christ, I came to the point where I I understood very clearly that all I needed, my only hope was Christ. And now in this life with Christ, I don't find in myself the power to do what I want to do. I still have to cry out, against my old, sinful man, wretched man that I am, and I have to cry out to the God who is my only hope, even now that I'm post-cross. Do you see that? Paul, how do you get saved? Only Christ. Paul, how do you live this life? Man, it's still only through Christ. Let me give you... Let me give you a few few things we should learn from this text. And I'm not, I'm not going to hang out long on this, guys. Next week, we're going to talk about, now that we've uh, found that sin still resides in us as believers, we've come to that reality. Next week, we're going to talk about how do we deal? How do we fight the fight? How do we, how do we win the battles? How do we win the individual battles when sin rears its ugly head again in our life, okay? So next week, we're going to get very very practical in how we fight that fight. And then after that, we're going to talk about that if we don't fight that fight, we're going to talk about very candidly the consequences of allowing sin to continue on in the life of the believer, okay? So that's where we're going with this. And I think we're going to end up this series by talking about if sin continues on in the believer's life, how does the church corporately, how does the church deal with sin in the life of the body. Well, let me give you some of the things that we need to learn from this passage as we just strum through it. Number one, this passage should remind you that you can't impress God through keeping the law. You couldn't do it pre-salvation, and you can't do it now in the midst of your sanctification. Your salvation needed grace and mercy. Your sanctification, you still need Grace and mercy. Don't be fooled, O foolish Galatians, into thinking that you could start in mercy and in grace and then return to the law. He says, continue on in grace, for it is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Galatians 5.1 This passage should remind you that you can't impress God on your own by keeping the law. It should also remind you that even... As a believer, you are in and of yourself, like Paul, wretched man that I am. I mean, I'm not not intending this, guys, to be a downer on you this week. But there is a balance that needs to be struck in the life of the believer. That he knows that in and of himself, he is still, he is still in desperate need of the mercy and the grace of God. This passage should remind us that even in Christ, 
We have to depend on Him fully and completely. Amen? Number three, this passage should remind you that grace and faith are still necessary and essential for your position with God. Number four, this passage should remind you, if nothing else, that God still deserves and requires our praise. Because He is the one who does it. How did I get saved, Paul? Through grace and mercy, by faith. How do I live this life now? You still live by mercy, grace, and faith. And God is still the God every day, day in and day out, that deserves your praise and your adoration because it is only through Him that you can now live this life. It is Christ living through you and in you is your only hope. So He deserves our praise still. It should also bring us out of hiding. And I talked about this last week, so I won't spend a whole lot of time. It should also bring us as believers out of hiding, that we don't push our sin into the basement of our life. That we could come to a place where we could admit, hey, sin is still around and I still have to fight this fight. I still have to fight against letting sin reign in my mortal body. I still have to fight against sin in the members of my flesh. I still have to consider myself dead to sin. And instead of pushing that sin deep down into the basement of our life, putting on this facade, putting on this happy face that I'm maybe more perfect than I really am, we need to just come to the place where we uh, begin to get in relationships with each other, where we are accountable to each other, and we can come to each other and we can say, you know what, bro, I'm failing miserably right here. I'm fighting hard, but I keep falling down. I need help. I need accountability. I need, I need prayer. You see, if we, don't, if we don't understand this passage correctly, we live lives putting on this facade of perfection. We come to churches where everybody puts on this face of perfection. But Romans 7 alleviates that in the church. Amen? that we can all come to the place where we understand, hey, we are all fighting battles. We are all fighting battles. One last thing I want to tell you that this passage should do, and uh, this is really where I felt like I needed to spend the majority of my time this morning. This passage should, uh, should clarify for everyone in this room where we stand with God. And here's why. There are two people who are hearing this passage this morning. There are two people who have heard us strum through this passage this morning. There are two people who have watched this tug of war go on in the mind and in the heart of Paul. The first person is the believer. And here's how you know that you are maybe in the faith, as Scripture would put it. Here's the test as you look at this Scripture to test yourself and say, am I in the faith? Here's the first person. The first person reads this passage and even in all of its redundancy, maybe even in its confusing verses, there's something inside of you that resonates and says, I know exactly what Paul is talking about right there. I know exactly the war that he's trying to communicate. I know exactly. I may not be able to say it very clearly, I may not be able to put it into the words like Paul put it. I may have never verbalized it 
ever in my entire life, but there's something deep inside of me that knows that there is this dogfight going on. And that there is part of me that desires to fulfill the good and perfect law of God that, I, that with everything I have, I am so deeply and passionately in love with my Savior. I am so appreciative of His grace, mercy, His kindness that I, I long to do what would please Him. But there's this old nagging thorn in my flesh that keeps sticking me. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. This wretched man, I'm tired of him. And I wish someone would come and take him away. And I long for the day when the God who saved me will completely sanctify me and help me to completely be done with this old stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? So there's some of us There are some of you where this passage resonates. Now, if this passage, let me be clear here, if this passage doesn't resonate, if you read this passage along with us and there's something in you says, you know, I really don't, I really don't get this guy. I mean, he's pretty, pretty down on himself. He doesn't have very high self-esteem. I mean, this guy needs to watch a little more Oprah, a little more Dr. Phil and really come to grips with himself. I mean, he doesn't like himself maybe a little better. Or maybe you just read this passage and you say, you know what, I, I really don't know. If you were completely honest with yourself, you say, I, I really don't know personally and intimately this conflict that this guy's trying to communicate. So here's where I want to finish today. One of the points that this passage exists to bring about is that it might cause us to judge for ourselves whether or not we are in the faith. And really one of the primary reasons that I didn't want to nitpick this passage, I just wanted to strum it, is because I just wanted you to come to the place where you say, yeah, I know that. I know that battle. Or I wanted you to come to the place where you say, if you're completely honest in in the deepest part of your heart, that you know what? That's really not me. There's not inside of me this great battle over the glory and the righteousness of God and the wretchedness that is my sin. In fact, I think I'm a pretty good I think I'm a pretty good person. And most likely you wouldn't say that I'm I'm perfect, right? Yeah, there's certainly stuff. There's certainly things in my life I know I'm not perfect. But you know what? If I'm completely honest, I'm not at the point that this guy in Romans 7 is at. I'm not a Romans 7 guy. If you're a Romans 7 guy, let this passage encourage you. And at the same time, not discourage you. There is a fight. There is a battle. We're going to look at a battle plan. So you want to come back next week. But if you're looking at this passage and you say, you know what? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't completely understand this. There are essentially two differences between you and the Romans 7 Apostle Paul. Number one, 7 Apostle Paul. Number one, number one, you do not fully and completely.